Hello and welcome to Connected episode 279. It's made possible this week by our sponsors, Pingdom, Smile, and Booz Allen. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined by Mr. Mike Hurley. Hello, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you too. We, it's our birthday week. Birthday week. And uh, Federico, your birthday is not this week. Well, happy birthday week to you both. Thank I you. Guess. It is it is weird that I mean we are several years different in age, but it is weird that it's the same week. It's many strange. Yeah, yeah that that's how calendars work. Like even if it's decades apart, it can still be the same week. (laughs) Thank thank you, Federico. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Health three. You know, teach you that in your review. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll get to fantastic health three, but first we have some follow up. So last time. Federico, you were speaking about your must-have apps 2019 article, and it has come out, and I really enjoyed it. Do you want to tell the lovely people uh, about this article? Thank you. Uh, yes. Um, so it's 50 apps. So it's the it's basically the usual story that I do every year. Uh, I was a bit late this time because I was doing a few things. First of all, I was I basically spent the month of December. Uh, deciding whether I I wanted to use Overcast or Apple Podcasts. Um, Marco has got a new version of Overcast coming out with a new version of Voice Boost. It's really good. We'll have a story on the site eventually. And I was also playing around um, with a few additions to my home screen in the form of the shortcut icons. So I got the story out a bit later than usual. Shouldn't happen again, but I still wanted to do it, and I still... Yeah, you better not let it happen no, again. No, I, I will not. Sorry. Disgrace. Dead. Disgrace. I will not. Uh, so 50 apps, 50 apps, bit of a... Nearly well, February over here. No, it's it, it, it came out on January 23rd, which is also my favorite number. That's nearly February. It's from one week away well, from February. Sure. Um, I don't care. This is a reflection of my home screen in 2019, as of mm-hmm. December uh, 31st. A bit of a format change. There's a new category, home screens, which is the collects the apps that I have on my home screen for the iPhone and iPad. Otherwise, the usual stuff, uh, work, entertainment, images, health, home, and utilities. 50 apps. Um, some of them have moved to subscriptions. And there's the... I mean, there's Raindrop, who we've talked about it. It was the the new app that a lot of people wanted to hear more about. I also got a bunch of tweets and emails. There's always an app in your story yeah. that is like the big one for the year, right? Like, I think I feel like every year there's always like an app that you spend a lot of time focusing on. And I think Raindrop was yeah was the one this time, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, it was fun because I got a lot of. Uh, uh, tweets and questions from people about it uh, uh which incidentally by the way i just got i just saw that the raindrop service just today announced that um they have full ter- full text search and the permanent library feature which means they are archiving a full copy of every web page that you have Ooh, nice in in your raindrop account so this is very nice and i'll make sure to check it out and see how it works uh so yeah uh, Raindrop was definitely the highlight. Uh, the home screen on the iPad has a bit of a... I mean, we talked about this. It's got a, this custom layout with the icons. Otherwise, I think it's a pretty pretty good reflection of where I'm at at the moment. I'm using Reminders, 
uh, uh, the Apple Calendar icon is not there anymore because I'm now using the new version of Fantastical. And then there's shortcuts and timery and all the other custom shortcuts that we've talked about. So yeah, I'm curious to see what will happen to the home to this home screen in the 2020 edition, which will not come out in February 2020 or actually 2020 2021 per Mike's request. Um, but we'll see. There's some apps I don't feel like, for example, Codex, which I really like. It's a text editor. It barely gets updated. And it's one of those apps that, like, it's, like, the only app in its category, basically, like a, like a lightweight version of Sublime Text for iOS with, like, multiple cursors and custom key bindings, all those kinds of features. There's nothing else like it. On, on the iPad and on the iPhone, but the, but it's a free app and it doesn't really make any money for the developer. I don't understand why. And so it never gets updated. So I don't know. Hopefully the developer will go back to updating Codex in 2020, but I don't know. We'll see how it goes, I guess. It is the end of January, so we are just in iPhone rumor season because it starts earlier every year. And there is a uh, this... Rumor of that a navy blue color could replace the midnight green finish in the iPhone 12 Pro. Now, Mike, you're a big proponent of midnight green. Does this uh, does this make you sad? No, as much as I am a fan of midnight green. At the time, remember when they showed it off? I didn't like it, and I was on like Team Blue because there were people were mocking up blue mm-hmm. phones. So I would be all over this if they made a blue one. I also think it would be... So this came from uh, leaker Max Weinbach. He has been like at the forefront of all of the Samsung Galaxy S20 leaks that have been going on over the last few weeks. Like this guy um, has been getting all this information. So Is he the new Mark Gorman? Um, I think he's maybe more than you like EvLeaks, you know? Mm, he get, okay. get these people he, he writes it and does video stuff at xda developers which is like a very big android yeah. community right yeah um and it seems like he's been getting information and he's had some apple information before that's turned out to be correct mac mm. rumors has a bit of a breakdown of some of that in their article uh but i think that this makes sense because clearly apple only did the midnight green because it just provided like another colorway which would indicate that you had the new phone Mm -hmm. right so like so i think it would make a lot of sense if there was that fourth spot that they just kept rotating out every year of a different color like don't do green and blue just do blue Mm. you know what i mean so that we end up with black silver gold and a color in the pro line um i think that that would be quite clever uh but nevertheless i want the blue one because i like blue doesn't surprise me blue looks nice though like this mock-up that they did on the Mac Rumors page, like it looks really nice. Eh, well, I mean, not, not for me, but totally for you. So why? What do you? What don't you like about it? I don't know. I feel like I'm a boring person when it comes to colors. Like you I, like so, your phones black, don't you? I do, yeah, and do. I also like my wallpapers black or really dark gray. That's a more recent thing for you, though. You used to have lots of color. Yes, yes, it's a very recent thing for me. I still have a super colorful, like, clown vomit wallpaper on the lock screen. Mm. But on the home screen, it's got to be simple. I don't know. It's a, it's an age thing, I think. I guess. You're maturing. <laughs> Growing up with my wallpapers. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the unofficial Apple archive. Yeah. 
um, which was that wonderful, beautiful web page, uh, which what was the guy's name? Sam? Sam Gold. Sam Gold. That was it. I was going to say Goldman, but no, it's just Sam Gold. That's, that's half the bank. Goldman and Sam's. Perfect. Uh, Goldman Sam's. <laughs> that's their name. Goldman Sam's uh, created uh, the unofficial Apple. I, every time I say weblog in my brain and I have to stop myself. The unofficial Apple archive, right? Every time I go for 2R, like that's hitting me right back in the the standard. Well, now they have something in common. They've both been uh, partially shuttered. (laughs) That's that's not fair. Uh, But it's basically, it was kind of incredible uh, to see that Sam on Twitter was posting basically Apple sent uh, to Vimeo where they were hosting their videos uh, a bunch of uh, copyright notices right like like this this is you know it's affecting the copyright blah 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 take it down and they took a screenshot of their email notifications Mm -hmm. and you could watch them just like counting up in like tens it was kind of incredible as every single video was copyright claimed so it's basically dead now yeah Mm mm-hmm it's one. Of, it's a shame, but like, it like what were we expecting? Honestly, yeah, it was obvious that this was going to happen, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I don't want it to have happened, but I don't really know what else could be expected. Is this, this something that the blockchain could have fixed? You know what? Probably or Pirate Bay. <laughs> to no, what's the what's the other the other word that people like to use and throw around? Um, AI. No, 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 no. What 5G? if the Apple Archive... No, no 5G, Steven. That's an actual thing. Uh, no, it's not. What if... Yes, it is. What if the unofficial Apple Archive was decentralized? Uh. I don't even know what it means, but what if it was? Someone's going to ba- break up big advertising. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. There, there was a rush on the part of some Reddit users to try to scrape this stuff and have it in a torrent. I don't think that got finished before it was taken down. And we just say the site is still up as far as this recording, at least. And the images are still there, but all the videos are gone. Again, they sent takedown requests to Vimeo, the host that was being used for the videos. seems to me like a, uh, the photos I would imagine will follow at some point, but you know, Mm -hmm. the, 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 most of the hard work that he put in, I would imagine, was on the video side, and it's a shame that it didn't last very long. But it's also not super up until surprising. like a certain point. What is the problem? Like, what is Apple's problem? Yeah, I, I wrote some about this for a forthcoming Club Mac Stories column, but I think that Apple. Hey, no, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> but I think Apple's in the wrong here. Like, yes, clearly they have copyright claims on their own keynote videos and and yeah like maybe some of the internal stuff that he was publishing maybe you could say okay well that's that's internal you know i can understand why apple would do that but like video of people on stage that happened as a historical event i think apple should either let the point of the ad was you made it you paid for it for people to see it right and you put it out into the world and uh, I think it's a shame that Apple treats them this way. You know, without a centralized thing like what Sam did, you're just off searching YouTube and the quality is pretty bad. And and Apple has some of this available, but doesn't go back very far. Definitely not to the, you know, the early 2000s or 90s. And it's a shame. And I, I wish Apple wasn't this way about this sort of thing because 
I mean, selfishly, I would like to have better quality stuff than than what's available. And I have some stuff personally that's not available anywhere else that I've gotten my, my hands on over the years, but it should be a resource that anyone could use anywhere. It's a bummer. Mm-hmm. It is, however, the year of Steven. It is not. It is. It isn't. The year of, it really isn't. The year of Steven it's part two. No. There, <laughs> there was this thing in Forbes. Uh, we're going to link to the nine to five article about it where content creators on Apple TV Plus are going to be using uh, podcasting to talk about their episodes. This is in conjunction with Little America, which I haven't seen any of. Is it even out? I don't I don't actually know. Yes. So the the people behind the series were talking to Forbes about why they worked with Apple and how they're going to be using podcasts to sort of build the story around the video content. And it's it's basically what we talked about in a, the prediction show. It's just sort of a, a concrete example of this this happening. Or going to happen. Going to happen. It obviously hasn't happened. But they spoke about, I think they were talking about the second season. So I don't know when the second season's coming out, but you might not get in this year, if like, which could be, wouldn't that be beautiful, right? Like they are doing it, but it's not going to be in 2020. That would be hilarious uh, for no real reason, right, Stephen? That, 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 that'd be funny. Mm. Well, it just means that 2021 is also the year, Stephen. I don't think it does because the pick is gone. We've never spoken about this before, but I don't think we should reuse picks. You just keep going around and around and around again. We can just add another rule. Do we need to add that to a, the rule section of the Google document? I don't think we need to do it now. Well, I'm here. Regular rules. Well, then do it then. Picks. We shouldn't be able to reuse picks. Cannot be reused. So there you go. That looks like that podcasts are coming. But we can also talk about the year of Mike because it, during Apple's not, earnings call, uh, Tim Cook didn't answer anything positively about 5G, but was asked questions about 5G and was doing the usual Tim Cook thing of like, we're excited about products in our pipeline. Like it's coming, man. 5G on the iPhone Mm -hmm. this year, it's happening and there's nothing Stephen can do about it. Are you ready to accept defeat, Stephen? There's a lot of year left, Federico. There's a lot, a lot of year left. A lot of year for you two proven wrong. September will be here before you know it. <laughs> That's true. Time only speeds up. Well, that is follow-up. We made it. We survived through the follow-up tunnel. We have emerged on the station of our first ad break. Okay. Mm. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. And no matter how good your content is or how effective your marketing may be, People are just going to leave if your website is loading too slowly. That's that's annoying to everybody. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experiences. So you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on their browser, device, and platform that they're using. You can identify how visitors are experiencing your site so you can make informed optimizations and deliver great performance to those who matter most. And it's built to scale. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution. That means that you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code CONNECTED at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. 
Our thanks to Pingdom from Solar Winds for the support of the show. Federico, last week we spoke about what you were doing with your iPad. You have since had a adapt episode come out about it, but do you want to uh, do you want to confess your sins? Well, yes. So you may remember that a few years ago we very very kindly and lovingly um, somewhat poked fun at Michael for wanting to experiment with his iPad Pro. You're lying. A, a screen protector called the Paperlike. And it was all, you know, in done in good faith. And, You're and lying. Just very, you know, from, from a, you know, out of the kindness of, of our hearts, we, we just, you know, it made for good entertainment on the show. And lies. Uh, <laughs> so what I, so, so, okay, so the here's the short version. I am currently using the paper-like screen protector on my 12.9-inch iPad Pro and a different screen protector on the 11-inch iPad Pro called the Moshi iVisor AG. I don't even know what the AG stands for, but it's called the Moshi iVisor. Um, so here's my why I'm doing this. I've always wanted to have an iPad Pro with a matte display. I love matte displays. I wish that Apple would make a version of the iPad Pro that had one, even if it cost like 500 euros more. I would spend the money for that because I really like matte displays. Just buy a Pro Display XDR and carry it around with you. Mm -hmm. Sure. Or uh, I could have done the research on matte screen protectors, which is what I've done. Buy a really powerful laser and do the etching yourself. Also a possibility, yes. Yeah, could, yeah. could be actually less expensive than the Pro Display XDR. <laughs> I, I wanted to see if this was something that I could like, because a problem that I ran into last year was I basically could not get any work done at the beach. And yes, this is a first world problem for me. It's the biggest. I know. I spend a lot of time at the beach in the summer. You're just Italian. What do people want from you? Yeah. And I, you know, I could have, uh, I like the idea of knowing that if I want to, I can read my review, my iOS review that I usually work on in the summer and read through a few chapters and do a few edits while I'm at the beach. It was, it's basically impossible with the default um, display, the LCD display of the iPad Pro. Like in the, even if you're under a beach umbrella with strong direct sunlight, the thing is going to reflect everything and it's really hard to see. So I was talking to Ryan and I mentioned like, I want to see if there's, if maybe this is a solution for me to use the iPad Pro at the beach in the summer or in general, like if I want to work outside it becomes something, it's something that it becomes possible for me. So I ordered the paper-like in two versions, in two sizes. But as I was waiting for the paper-like, somebody listened to someone on, someone on Twitter. They listened to the Adapt episode and they recommended to me this Moshi iVisor alternative. AG. AG. So I put it in order for that from Amazon US for the small iPad Pro. 
So now I'm testing both at the same time. There's a major difference between them. The paper-like, it's called paper-like for a reason. It's got a, it's got a paper-like texture. By the way, I just need to say this for a second because you were talking about this on Adapt too. This thing does not feel like paper, right? Like I just need to state that as a pen and paper user. It doesn't feel like paper. Oh, here we go. It just mm-hmm. has a texture. It doesn't feel like it has paper, a yeah. right? Like it, there's just a, it doesn't feel like you're using a pen on paper when you use the Apple Pencil on a paper. Like it just has more of a texture. Like it's closer, but it doesn't feel anything like pen and paper. I just need to state that. It adds friction to the to the screen, which is nice. Like I think it is much nicer to use the Apple Pencil on this uh, than uh, on the regular screen. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you, listener Veg from the chat room. Uh, AG stands for anti glare. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So mm. AG is anti glare. So the paper like as a, as a as a texture adds friction when you're using the pencil on screen and it comes with a bit of a of a of an involved process for applying the paper like to your <laughs> iPad. Oh boy does it. Let's just say there's a website that you need to visit, there's a video, there's a multiple stickers that you need to use, there's a it's it's a whole thing. I would say for it is whilst I agree it is it is very complex. They have really done an excellent job of making a complex thing followable. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Like they the the actual experience of applying it whilst difficult is made much easier by how good their tutorial stuff is. But. And the packaging also, like all yeah. the all the different uh pieces are labeled and everything is mm-hmm. is explained very clearly. I had Sylvia do it, obviously, because I knew that I was gonna mess it up. Do a whole mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she was perfect. It's basically perfect. It's got no bubbles underneath these. The... I, I feel like I need to send you my iPad. But, all right, so she inspired by you, I applied uh, my paper like. Ah, okay. I messed up the first one so bad, I had to use the second one. <laughs> oh, no. Just so many bubbles. Just just bubbles everywhere, like tiny ones. Just like I've, 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 I reckon I'm going to have to take this one off again just because the bubbles are so bad mm-hmm. but i do really i do really like the matte screen as well i think the yep. matte finish is really nice okay the moshi eye visor ag mm-hmm. has no texture so it is smooth completely well it's different of course from uh, the glass of the ipad's display but it doesn't have friction like the paper like um it's matte it's very similar in practice to the paper-like. And the big advantage of this one is that it creates no bubbles when you apply it. Oh. Like completely bubble-free. I don't know how. I was say, how is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? It's removable, this one, though, right? Like it's not one and done as well. Uh, I think it's removable and washable at the same, uh, also. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to buy this. I was really skeptical of this one. It's like, yeah, how can it be possible that it's washable and bubble-free? I mean, I haven't washed it, but it is bubble-free, like zero bubbles underneath the, 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 the screen protector. Now, if I knew, honestly, if I knew that the Moshi iVisor AG existed, I would have probably gone with this one on the big iPad Pro as well. 
now I have the paper like on and I don't really, I mean, maybe she's listening to me right now. I don't really feel like I want to tell Sylvia, hey, you got to remove the paper like, <laughs> apply a different one. Do you think if you removed it and replaced it with the eye visor that she would realize? Mm, probably. Because she she used the iPad Pro um, for drawing with the pencil for basically like 30 minutes. Mm. And if she's ever going to try again, she's going to notice the lack of a texture. Mm. So it's possible. Um, what I want to say is that I was really skeptical of these screen protectors in general for one main reason. I was afraid they would change the color or like just the, the definition, the resolution of the image shown on screen. And while that happens to an extent, like text is i don't i don't know how to describe it but the it looks a bit different but it's not as big a deal as i feared it's totally usable i've been writing with the paper like on my big ipad pro for an entire week at this point it's fine and i love it i love that it's matte i love that it reflects less light i i i think this is going to work for me honestly and the the bigger point, I guess, is that all these modifications that I'm doing to my iPad Pro, we talked about the cover body Switch Easy case uh, last week. I since have added also a silicone uh, sleeve for my Apple Pencil. What I love, so to, to recap what's going on at the moment, I have a smart keyboard folio with four metal kickstands in the back. I have a Switch Easy cover body <laughs> case around the iPad Pro. I have a... Uh, uh, this is a funny name. I got it from Amazon Italy. I think it's also available in Amazon US. <laughs> it's an Apple Pencil sleeve. It comes in black and red. It's duotone, which is super nice to look at. But it's called the AHA Style <laughs> Pencil. AHA. AHA Style. It's all one word. It's the AHA Style um, Apple Pencil sleeve. That's A-H-A style. Um, and the paper-like screen protector. But what I like about this setup, so it's, it's a lot of accessories, but I'm still using the iPad Pro with the smart keyboard folio. Like, it's not like my iPad Pro is so rugged now. It's become like, like those other box cases that like suddenly your iPad is now a full brick that you have to lug around. The increase in weight is minimal. Basically, the only weight that I added was the cover body case because the kickstands and the screen protector and the Apple Pencil sleeve, they weigh nothing, essentially. So I'm still using the iPad Pro with the smart keyboard. It's still a pretty standard setup in terms of the writing experience. But it's so much more flexible for me because with a matte display, I can work outside. Uh, the Apple Pencil sleeve, by the way, fits inside the uh, opening in the cover body case and it charges and it connects, it pairs magnetically to the iPad Pro. But now the Apple Pencil is also protected. And I got the kickstands, so I have multiple viewing angles as well. So it is a completely custom smart keyboard setup, which is sort of... That was my priority. Like, I want to keep using the smart keyboard, but I also want to customize it to add a bunch of options. And yes, you can make the argument that, oh, look at this guy spending money to fix something that Apple should have fixed. Yes, I agree with you. But also, 
I am a pragmatic person. So I took it upon myself to customize it, and now it works for me. And you, the complainer, have a smart keyboard that is not as flexible as mine. So I think I'm, I got a win situation over here for me. Don't you agree? I agree that you have a situation. I, okay. Okay. It's, look, when you look at it, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it looks like an iPad with a smart keyboard. There's, yeah. I mean, and if you take a closer look, you will see the Switch Easy case, which is, again, you just see the additional pencil holder, basically. And um, the metal kickstands are very strategically placed uh, around stickers that I have <laughs> all over the smart <laughs> keyboard. So they are sort of a, you know, a camo situation going on. You barely notice them. And otherwise, it's just a smart keyboard. I don't agree that you barely notice the stickers. No, no, it's it's a smart keyboard. Not it's the, a smart the, key- uh, the the not the the kickstands. Like I look, you you do you, man. Like if it's pretty obvious that I would be excited for you in all of your things, but don't try and say that you can't notice them. You can the kickstands. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I like I. No, I don't like. Uh, I noticed them in the sense that they like the iPad like doesn't like when you put it on a table. Um, doesn't sit flat. It doesn't sit flat, but I like I don't care. But I guess it's balanced. So yeah, it is because there's four of them, so it's balanced and it's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the best part, like, if I don't wanna, if I don't have to type or write anything, uh, it's a smart again. It's a smart keyboard. Now I just remove the iPad. And the Switch Easy case, it's easy enough to remove, and I got an iPad. So I think this is more flexible for me than something like a bridge keyboard. Um, when I want to have an iPad in portable mode. I, all this to say that I'm really happy that I made fun of you for screen protectors a few years ago. I yep. regret the mistake. Good. I can see the appeal now. It's still made for good entertainment on the show, so I do not regret the entertainment that we provided, because that's what we do. But I will say that I understand now why people like it. Uh, Regardless of the texture and whether it feels like paper or not, having an anti-glare matte display is very nice. Should be a default option on the iPad Pro. I would pay serious money for it. Uh, You seem pretty happy, right, about all of Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. You did not seem very happy on Twitter a couple of days ago, and I wanted to ask you about it. Mm. You tweeted the following. I've had enough of Google's broken, intrusive, user-hostile AMP pages that are constantly shoved down my throat in mobile search results. (laughs) I can't stand them anymore. I'm trying DuckDuckGo again for a while. How's that going for you? Uh, Also, can we talk about AMP? Can we talk about that for a minute? (laughs) We can. We can. I believe it's the worst thing that has ever happened to the mobile web. How often are you seeing that? I feel like I don't get amp. Every single day. Yep. All the time. <laughs> I am so fed but up. But let me ask, so, though. I want to ask. I need to feel like I need to understand this. Yeah. Because I only ever realize I'm on an amp page when I need the URL. Oh. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. But I don't if, feel like I notice most of the time. I can tell. I can tell because the scrolling is weird. And what is that? What do you mean by that? I'm I'm just intrigued. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just intrigued. On the, so on the there's a bunch of issues on the iPad Pro. Usually, when I open a Google AMP page, half of the screen 
is blank, is white, and the article is displayed with a smaller font on the left side of the screen because it's completely broken for some websites on the iPad Pro with Safari at the moment. Explain that again. Uh, When I open certain, actually several AMP websites Uh on my iPad Pro, the result is a page that has the right half of the screen completely blank, white, with no content. And the actual article is cramped on the left (laughs) side of the screen. Is this in uh, landscape? Yes. Okay. It is. I haven't Uh, seen this. That's a thing that happens on my iPad Pro. Uh, Of course, uh, the regular annoyance of being unable to share the actual permalink of a web page. On the iPhone, I can tell when I'm visiting an AMP page because it does weird things to scrolling the page. Like Mm. it's not the native Safari scrolling, the native WebKit scrolling. It's different. Text selection is usually weird. Um, using extensions uh, from the share sheet becomes impossible because they mm-hmm. uh, they ingest the Google.com AMP URL instead of the actual link. And there's just a, a lot of weird things that happen in terms of rendering and scrolling and the interaction. So not only do I believe that it's... A, it, my main problem with AMP and... and We've talked about this years ago. I was actually quoted, and this is not to brag. uh, It's something that I've been thinking for years now. I've been quoted in the New York Times when I originally complained about this. Yes. Um, It is such a short-sighted view of the web from both Google and website owners. And I see this all the time. Of Like, you have a website. And instead of making it better, and by better I mean like, not don't use 50, 60 different trackers or, you know, have published web pages that weigh 60, 70 megabytes, um, you know, have all kinds of user hustle behaviors going on. These websites, they embrace these technologies that are supposed to make your website better. Uh, this applies to Google AMP. This applies to a service that I saw yesterday that launched called Scroll that lets you pay $5 a month uh, to browse certain websites without ads. Well, guess what? The best way to... <laughs> readability. Have... Readability is back. Yes, it's basically readability that failed miserably. Remember they were sending checks to website publishers uh-huh. a few years ago and I got yeah, yeah. mine in the mail was like $70. Well, thank yeah. you, readability. Uh, <laughs> and they would, if you didn't sign up to claim the money, they'd just keep the money. Yeah, they would keep it. Yeah. Uh, well, guess what the best solution to have people come to your mobile website actually is make a good mobile website. Don't track people. And if you really want to, like I have a single thing on my website, Google Analytics, I don't have 60, and 60 is not an exaggeration. I, if there are programs that let you see how many trackers you have on certain websites. You want to have one analytics service because you need the metrics? Fine. But don't publish web pages that eat up your data connection. That's just ridiculous. Don't like, Make a good website that respects people, that behaves in a way that a good website should behave, and you don't have to use all these different plugins and all these different services. Make a main website that works well. You can have ads 
but just you know and maybe this is just my way of thinking and maybe it's a limited worldview but it's my opinion so i do not disagree with the large point that you're making but like the reason is because a lot of websites can't make money without those types of ads like that's why it exists right where like you have found a very great business model and work with people that are like-minded but like that's why we are in this situation right because publishing seems to be becoming more and more difficult people to make money in i am not excusing those trackers merely stating for the devil's advocacy right of just like but especially google amp google amp what's the reason to implement google amp google amp is and i'm gonna say this i take full responsibility google amp is basically extortion from google um in what way in a way that they obviously promote what in search results uh, uh websites stuff that first. use amp stuff right they have a whole thing for news that like you tap on an amp result and then you can swipe through multiple right. websites but like uh, what is google's benefit though that you keep using google because um oh my god these websites are so fast uh like i don't know uh, man. it feels like it feels mm-hmm. like it's a whole evil plan to have these websites implement google ads and google ads obviously they slow down web pages and they um they they come with all kinds of different trackers and now these websites are not making you know that they have they have users complaining about the fact that these websites are slow and so google comes in and says okay look this very problem problem that we created but don't think about it that way for now what if we also gave you a plugin that speeds up your website and i'm like man my website is slow because you gave me ads that are slow but do google's ad system slow pages down or is it all the other stuff that people i I don't know if it's google's right like those those 60 trackers or whatever they're like all these crazy companies with their tracking pixels right well, I don't know if yeah, it's Google, but it's part of the prop. It's part of the problem, though. I've, I, I, yes, they, they, a problem that they did create, but I don't know if right. it's if it's Google's thing. But like, I get your point of like, they want the web to be faster for various reasons. One of those mm-hmm. reasons is because then Google's version of the web is faster yeah. for you as the user. And why would Google care about that? Because they want to keep people using Google because that's where yeah. the money comes in. Uh, look, I, I, I am firmly convinced that <laughs> all these websites are going to regret adopting AMP years from now. Oh, of course they are. things will break and it'll stop working. No, but working. it's like anything. It's like anything in, in publishing, right? Like there's the darling for a bit and then everybody regrets it, right? Like let's all pivot to video. Let's all et cetera, et cetera, right? Like I've seen these these kinds of comments from like The Verge and stuff, right? That they, they implemented AMP and now they hate it. But like mm-hmm. what are they supposed to do? Like they need it because they need people to come and see the the pages. I'm pretty sure I've seen articles from them like that, mm-hmm. right? Am, mm-hmm. am I am mm-hmm. I speaking wrong there? That feels about right. But. Yeah, yeah. Never never ever trust plugins. Control the stuff that you publish. Have it be basic web standards and you're going to be fine. Don't trust this, you know, this fads that come about even if they last for 3 4 years. Have it be standard stuff. Text. It's all about text and HTML. That's what it should be. Don't trust plugins because you're going to regret it. And like, this stuff happens all the time. And now there's this scroll service and people are going to be all excited about scroll. And then it's going to stop working in a few years. And the cycle repeats itself over and over and over. It's just, it's demoralizing. And as a user, 
um, AMP results are just terrible. It's a terrible user experience. So now I am so annoyed by them. I am looking for two things. One, recommendations from people. If, if you know of any extensions for Safari on iOS that somehow make it easier to de-amp a web page, because yes, you can get to the actual URL, but you need to tap on the very small icon in the top left corner, and then you also need to tap on the link. I wish there was a way, maybe a bookmarklet or maybe an extension from the share sheet that's easier to access. or I want to see if there's a way for me to write a shortcut that uses JavaScript in Safari to extract the actual permalink of a page and take me there. I think that's possible, but I'm not sure. So, yeah, I, I fundamentally despise AMP on principle yep. at a practical level. Uh, and yeah, so... So, so you're having a great time with DuckDuckGo and it's pl- in Google's Place? No, that's also the problem. Uh, so, uh, I, <laughs> so I'm back to Google, uh, spoiler alert, because I remembered we've been over this two years ago when I was quoted in the New York Times, or three years ago, I can't remember. The problem. I thought that DuckDuckGo improved in the meantime. It is still very bad in terms of search results for me for two types of content, news results and Italian content, Italian results from Italian websites. Um, news, I realized I use Google a lot for. I uh, type something in Safari and either I see the top news at the very top of the standard search page or I select the news tab on Google. And news in uh, DuckDuckGo are really bad and basically non-existent. Italian search, search results, I, I essentially couldn't find. Like, it is such a dramatic difference between the Italian stuff that I can find using Google and what I can find using DuckDuckGo. Also, I noticed that Google has much, much better support for indexing content from online forum boards, or like just communities where people share and talk about stuff, like Reddit, for example. The results for that type of uh, websites that you get in DuckDuckGo are also really bad. So I understand, and I believe people when they say, uh, I've been using DuckDuckGo for like two years and I'm totally fine and I always find what I'm looking for. Uh, that doesn't apply to me. Maybe it's, maybe it's the things that I search for. Maybe it's the fact that I have this mix of English and Italian content. It doesn't really work for me, man. Like, I, I, I cannot find what I'm looking for. And if I'm using DuckDuckGo, but then I always have to append the exclamation mark G to take me to Google, what's the point, right? I'm just going to use Google as a default. You just want to use Google. Like, look, we need to be real about this. Like, I agree. I know people. I have friends who use DuckDuckGo, but like, there is there are search engines and there is Google. Yeah. Right? Like everything else is something else. Google has it all. And it sh- that's just how it is. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. So, I was hoping it was better. Uh and I do appreciate uh the the message and and the and uh, you know the the mm-hmm. what Dr. Go is trying to do, but it's not as good as Google for me. And again, just to make this clear before the many things happen, none of this is about like 
tracking and all that kind of stuff. This is purely about no. AMP because like no. people will tell you to do this to Google, that to Google. That's not what you're looking for. It's not no. about like minimizing Google's hold on you. It's purely because you don't like AMP. Look, I got principles, all right? In life, in general, this is not a case of principles. It's just a pure personal problem with search results. Well, the principle is you hate AMP. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's the my principle. Guide, my North Star is I hate AMP. How do I get rid of AMP? I thought using a different search engine would be a solution, but no, it isn't. And no, I don't want to try Bing or... What about Jeeves? Ask Jeeves. No. Uh, so yeah it's... I've actually been trying out being a little bit recently for for other reasons and it's not Google either <laughs> it really isn't oh. it's very different so Federico Mac Stories had just to close this loop Mac Stories had AMP for a while right yeah and then, yes. and then yes. you got rid of it because of this this personal stance yeah did you see any difference that you're willing to share in mobile traffic or how Mac Stories showed up in search after that change? No, not really. Um, search traffic is up every year. Um, it's doing fine when I, uh, for some results, uh, were on the first page of Google. Uh, some other results, we may be on page two. Uh, obviously, the big stories that get shared, like my iOS reviews or some major app reviews, they tend to rank higher in Google search. Uh, so I would say it's about it's fine. I uh, I see traffic from um, news.google.com, whatever the domain is, uh, but we're just not as... Obviously, we do not end up in the uh, featured uh, Google AMP carousel of websites that support Google AMP. Uh, and But that is a trade-off that I'm willing to accept. Like uh, We will never be featured in that special view that lets you flip through pages from different websites, but it's fine. Because I don't want to use AMP, I want to have a website that is lightweight and fast and that uses as little JavaScript as possible. Um, so that's my priority. And look, I'm totally fine with not getting millions, uh, tens of millions of views every month. It's fine. It's something that I came to terms with years ago, really. Um, I, you know, all... You know my stance on, on these plugins and these services. Like, I want to control everything that I do. That's my priority. And so I, we tried AMP years ago for like a month and then realized this is stupid. We should just make our website faster. And that's what we did. We focused on, uh, we removed AMP and we worked on making Mac stories super fast and as lightweight as possible. We removed all the legacy JavaScript that we had. We switched to uh, HTML and CSS for um, certain types of content inside stories as much as possible and now we're, we played around with not using Google Analytics we tried to use a service called Matomo and we tested it for like a couple of months and then also I realized these results are not as good as Google Analytics and so I decided Analytics is the only service uh, that I'm willing to put on Mac stories and that's the only one that we have so yeah and now we're even using the native font uh, on on Apple platforms, uh, the native uh, San Francisco font, system font. So we're not even loading a remote font anymore. So, uh, well, we've got uh, a lot more to talk about, but let's take a break for our second sponsor. That is Smile. Text Expander is one of those tools that can unlock your productivity in a bunch of different ways. 
think about things that you may type over and over. So email addresses, phone numbers, common replies, so much more. Text Expander works anywhere you type. So in word processors, email, messaging apps, online forms, you can customize your snippets with fill-ins and pop-up lists. And you can check out Text Expander for Teams if you need to manage snippets for your company. One of my uh, very common things in Text Expander that I use several times a month is when we have to pay people from Relay FM. I have some details that have to be exactly right. Like one payment process we use requires the name to be typed exactly the correct way or it won't go through. And, you know, I don't want to make errors. And so now I have a little pop-up in Text Expander. And if I'm in that field on the bank's website, I can type my snippet and I get a little drop down. It's like, okay, I, I can select Mike's name and it, it formats it the way it's supposed to be. And it has stopped me from making errors in that form. And it means that I can just type a couple of keystrokes and be able to select from this long list of multiple people. Text Expander is available for Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And connected listeners will get 20% off their first year. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. If you've been meaning to try Text Expander, now is the time. Go check it out at textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. So this week marks the 10th anniversary of the iPad keynote. It came out in what, March or April, several months later. Uh, but the keynote anniversary is this week, and we t- wanted to sort of point it out here. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff in the show notes. Mike, you and Jason spoke about it, Upgrade 282. Federico, you and John spoke about the iPad as far as, like, from the app angle on App Stories episode mm-hmm. 147. And several people asked us to cover it, like, play-by-play play on Connected. Well, we did that. Uh, five years ago on episode 24 of Connected. So you can go listen to much younger versions of us. <laughs> do that if, if you want. I have literally no memory of this episode. Yeah, me neither. I do not remember doing this, which is hilarious. Was it Was it us? Do we actually It looks it? like it. But if you're looking for another play-by-play, I, I watched this on a plane. Uh, Stephen watched the entire uh, thing, which was wonderful. Yeah, so I did like a commentary track sort of sort of thing and uh, posted that on YouTube and it was fun to rewatch it. It's, it's wild how much the, um, how much of the, the iPad is the same, but in, and how many ways it's totally different than it was in the beginning. Like the, the very vision of the iPad has changed so much and it's, it was, it was, it was fun to, to revisit it. I loved some of the stuff that dated it. Like when they were saying that, like, we make more mobile devices than even Nokia. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah, there, there's that. There's, I mean, it opens with like an iPod update. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really is funny. And and the whole thing, you know, he, he it's kind of really interesting because they feel like they, they justify the product's existence. Like when there's a new iPad Pro or a new Mac, like it's like, oh, yeah, like we know what this is. And, but... With this, with the new category, it is really different because they have to define the category. And so they compare it against netbooks, which was the hot thing in 2010. A bunch of people wanted Apple to build one. And it is really interesting how they sort of decimate them. And now they're totally gone. 
Yeah, I skimmed the uh, the keynote video again, and it's still so. I don't know. It, it, it's still so fun to look at, like and remember, like the things that we were expecting and all the rumors back then, and like the names that we thought they were gonna use for this device. It's just it's it's something that I remember so clearly. For me, it is the it's the keynote that I associate with starting Mac stories because it was the first big new Apple product since I started the website in April 2009. And so in January 2010, the website was still very much new. And like, I, I, I don't want to say that I, well, yeah, to an extent, I had no idea what I was doing, but I know that this was going to be a big deal. And like, this is for me the event that, that really convinced me, oh, this is something that I want to cover. Uh, so it, it doesn't feel like 10 years, but also looking at it and like the, the Nokia reference, for example, yeah, it's been 10 years. It's been a decade. It's, a, it's been a long time. And and it also highlights like this this decade, this ten years. We talked about this last week, I think, but you can see the clean break in the middle in 2015 with the iPad Pro. Like you can absolutely see the separation between the first five years. Like the first couple of years, uh, the the first iPad and the iPad two and the Retina iPad uh, three, which was called the new iPad, um, and then basically nothing. Uh, like, yeah, there was the iPad 4 and they did the iPad mini, but the software really suffered and Apple made no new apps, basically, for the iPad. And then the iPad Core came out, came out in 2015, and, and but Apple was already v- a very different company then. So it feels, to me, it feels longer. I know that it's, you know, <laughs> that's not how it works, but to me, if the time between the original iPad and the first iPad Pro in 2015 feels longer than from 2015 to now. Well, because we were kind of stuck in limbo. It was stuck in limbo. I mean, the introduction of the iPad Mini was a big moment, but the regular iPad was just like, this is what it is, and uh, that will be it for a while, right? Like, And it really was like that for a long time. Um, and then, you know, they brought like a retina screen to it. They made it lighter. Like they made the sort of changes you'd expect, but it needed the change that it got in 2015, um, which then that, that you know, changing mm-hmm. to the iPad Pro then trickled down to the rest of the iPad line, making all of the other iPads better in the meantime as well. And look, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room and see it. The iPad will all, I think will, at this point, will always be the kind of product that every few months a few people get together on their websites, on their blogs, and write about how a failure it is, how it's not a replacement for traditional computers, how Apple dropped the ball and the Mac is a better computer and nobody's using the iPad. I think this has happened so many times already. It happens, it's a cycle that it repeats itself. Multiple times a year under, every almost year. On a regular, predictable schedule at different times of the year, usually um, in the winter, right after WWDC, and sometimes in the fall. You, some, it can be twice or three times a year, but it's a very regular schedule. That some people all, like it flares up and everybody starts start talking about the iPad again, how much of a failure it is, and, and it's, a dra- it's a tragedy, and, and then it blows over again. Now, I don't really, I don't feel like 
and specifically, I think Mike and I, we've talked about this topic so many times over, we've been doing the prompt and our later connected since 2013. We've been talking over seven years about this topic so many times that there's nothing that we can possibly add to the conversation that we haven't already said, which is, and I think Mike agrees with me, it's fine. Like the iPad has problems, had problems. Apple got to a better place with the iPad Pro. But then if you don't want to use it, you don't have to use it. We're not saying that it's a us, like it's a, it's a us versus them situation. Like if you want to use a Mac, it's fine. We just enjoy using the iPad more personally. Like we, we, it's our pre- personal preference. And, and personally, I do not believe that nobody is using the iPad as um, others would have you believe. I think that's inaccurate. But there's nothing else that we can say if you don't like the iPad. We're obviously not going to change your mind. Um, yes, it's got problems. Uh, you know, it, uh, there's some features of iPadOS that could use a lot more work. But I personally don't believe that the iPad is, at the moment, in an unusable state. I strongly disagree with John Gruber about, you know, on, on his article about iPad multitasking. I think, yes, it could be improved. I do not think it... But it's also ignorable. Yeah. Like, if you don't want to use iPad multitasking and you want to use your iPad as one app at a time, you don't even have to set that mode where you do one app at a time. Like, if... Because it's kind of like, if it's so undiscoverable, you should never discover it by accident, so it shouldn't be a problem for you, right? What I think it's funny is that every time this cycle uh, repeats itself, and there's the latest installment of these stories, people feel compelled to tell me about it. And while, y- uh, you know... Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know, Federico? <laughs> you must not know. It's kind of silly, really, that you, you, you've been using the iPad all this time, but yet you don't know how bad it is. I feel yes, sorry for you. That's, that's what I think it, it, it is a very funny phenomenon that, that yeah. happens every <laughs> single time. Of like... I'm just minding my own business and, con- you know, I'm doing my job and I'm writing my stories. Every once in a while, I give people an update on how I've been using the iPad and the things that I'm doing with the iPad. But it's not like I spend my life constantly obsessed with proving a point about the iPad. Like every once in a while, I have a story or maybe we talk about the latest accessories that I've bought, but then that's it. Like, I'm not on a mission I'm not on a quest to prove a point. I had a point to prove years ago, and that was it. And now it's like, it's what I don't understand. It's this, oh, don't you know that you're wrong? How can I be wrong if it's working for me? So this, like, this, we need to show you the truth of, like, we, we need you to see the light. It's <laughs> what I don't really understand. Like this, but People just want to help you, Federico. And that's like this, this insistence on... Why don't you accept our help and don't you change your opinion? That I think is really, it's a really fascinating psychological thing going on. Um, But it's like, imagine the opposite. Imagine if every few months we started, you know, me and you and Jason and and maybe John Voorhees, like, we started, you know, publishing stories about the Mac is useless. Maybe we should. And like, we started getting in touch, like, 
Jehovah Witness style, you know, getting in people's mentions and DMs and be like, hey, don't you know that you're using the, the wrong computer? It's like, why? What's the point? I might start writing articles about the Mac App Store. See, now that's a whole, that's a whole, that's a whole thing. But yeah, <laughs> so uh, the iPad at 10, um, not a perfect product, but also not a doomed product. And I don't think, uh, I mean, this is where I draw the line. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's multitasking is a catastrophe. I don't think it ruined the iPad. Um, I also don't think the iPad should have stayed the same way forever. I think I want to see what iPadOS means. I want to let the facts speak. I want to see what Apple actually does. This whole thing of like, it's useless. No, it's useful. No, it's useless. Like, this is th- this, this, what we're doing now is useless. <laughs> this entire conversation has no point. Uh, if only just to, to, to talk about like what happens every few months. So I think we've had our share of this conversation and this topic for a while. Maybe we can talk about it again in a couple of years. Maybe when the iPad turns 15 and if we'll still be doing Connected Together. I hope so. No, it's, it's coming up again in April. It's, yeah, I fear so. Because there'll be another news cycle like this one, right? And I know that you're working on it because like yeah. April is the anniversary of the product's release. Like what we've just experienced was the anniversary of its introduction. I guarantee you this comes up again in April. Yeah. And look, I also want to clarify. I don't mean that... Um, because we like the iPad, we shouldn't hold Apple to a higher standard and complain about stuff. That's the point. If you go to, I mean, you, if you go to, if you listen to the show, you must know that we do. If you go to my iPadOS review, there's a single page that I dedicated. It's called the complexities of multi-window. It's basically a single play, page of complaining about things that do not work with actual examples and screenshots and videos. So, like, yeah. I know that we should complain to Apple and share criticism, but also I don't like hyperboles, you know? I don't think things are useless. Mm-hmm. I don't say the Mac is useless because it's not. It's got problems and it's, you know, I apply my taste and opinion to judging it, but it's not useless. So it's black and white, you know, I, I, I don't like it. I mean, I think some of it, comes from the era where people were afraid that the iPad was going to replace the Mac. And for a while, Tim Cook and others sort of talked like that was going to be true, right? The future of computing is this, and that means that the way you compute is old-fashioned. And I think people read a lot into that. And I think if, if anything, Apple has proven over the last couple of years that these two platforms are going to be in parallel for a long time, right? You don't invest in things like Mac Catalyst or the Mac Pro or ARM Macs, if SwiftUI, if you think that the Mac has had its time and the iPad is going to take it over. And, you know, that's that's kind of a separate discussion. But I feel like people who are still afraid of that just haven't been paying attention in the last couple of years. And I, I find that frustrating. Let's talk about what Min-Chi Kuo spoke, yeah. uh, reported today. There's a, an article from Mac Rumors outlining a selection of products that were all expected to be released in the first half of 2020, most likely in the spring, so probably around March time. So I have a list of products, and uh, a few of them have some additional details. One of them is ultra-wideband tags. This is the product that we've been pretty familiar with 
uh, from leaks and screenshots and all kinds. And uh, Mac rumors in their article even have the screenshots that they were able to unearth of the UI inside of iOS mm. that enables and allows you to register these tags. Uh, they're believed to be called Air Tags, and this is like the tile thing, yeah. right? So. Apple will create a little plastic doohickey that you put inside of your wallet, you put inside of your backpack, and then those products, those items, I should say, will then show up inside of Find My. Uh, Quo believes that the tags will support ultra-wideband, which is currently the most useless thing Apple's ever put into an iPhone, because I'm telling you, whatever is supposed to happen to AirDrop doesn't work right i'm I'm not alone here right like nothing changed <laughs> with airdrop has anybody ever gotten at anything different nope to happen in airdrop like i notice sometimes it taps yes yes, I, yes. and it taps me <laughs> yes and then it says hold up the phone i don't know and why. i do it and nothing <laughs> happens right like so currently there is a chip inside of our iphones that does nothing <laughs> but is most likely there for support of things like this uh, ultra wideband would allow you to f- find these products with much greater accuracy than Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, apparently, right? Like if it works. Um, so that would be pretty cool. So you'd be able to find these these tags. And of course, because of the way the iPhone works, and you would be able to, in theory, be on the other side of the world with one of these tags, and you'd still be able to find your product because it is talking to other devices that are around it. Not it doesn't just have to talk to yours. It's very clever stuff, and obviously would be great for Apple because you don't you know with products like Tile and Tracker, they have these mesh networks right where like every the devices can talk to anybody that has the Tile app installed. So to do that thing where like if I left my bag in Rome and Federico had the Tile app installed for his Tile products, it could in theory my Tile could talk to his app to help tell me where my bag is, right? That's how these products work. Remember when I found your bag in an elevator at Ethro? Pause that for a second, because that's a great story. <laughs> uh, but so then, then, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, yes, um, but then, but like he, the, we both all have to be using the app, which is way fewer users than every single iOS or macOS product on the planet of the Earth, right? That is using iOS 13 or macOS, uh, what are we on now? Catalina. Which Catalina. Is Catalina or more, right? Like that is, that's like so much stuff you would be able to find your bag again. Federico, do you want to tell the story quickly of when you found my suitcase? Yes. So <laughs> we were coming back from WWDC and uh, of course we landed in London and I had a layover to go back to Rome. So we, you know, we were flying together. So we wait for our bags together. We get our bags at um, uh, bag- baggage claim and then we go outside. I needed to basically exit the airport and go back in for departures because it was like a four hour layover. So we say goodbye. Mike goes to one elevator, I go to another elevator. Uh, and I need to take this lift to go uh, up, I guess, to from, from arrivals back to departures at Ethro. So I get in the elevator and I'm looking at my phone and I'm sitting by, uh, not sitting, I'm standing by the door. The door opens on another floor, which was not departures yet. And somebody uh, says, excuse me, uh, because I was, uh, I was standing in front of the door. So I moved to let this person pass. And with the corner of my eye, <laughs> I 
take a look at this, at the case that this person was um, holding. And I see a sticker with Mike's cartoon face on it. And like, uh, it was like a fraction of a second thing. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Mike's face. And I go back to look at my phone and then like, <laughs> it dawns on me like, wait, what is Mike's face doing on that case? <laughs> and so just suddenly <laughs> I burst out and I'm like, uh, sir, that is not your case. <laughs> this person turns to me and we're all standing inside of an elevator packed full of people, right? And everybody's looking at me and I'm like, and this person is like, what? And I was like, yes. Are you coming from San Francisco? <laughs> and this this man is like looking at me strange and be like, "Yeah, how how do you know?" Like so that is mo- I'm like and again everybody's looking at me and I'm like that case is my friend's case. Uh, I know that because of the sticker. So what we're going to do now is we're going to exit the elevator and I'm going to call my friend because he definitely has your case. And so everybody's looking at us and we get out at a like parking um, level, uh, not definitely not the departures floor. And I call Mike on the phone. And so this guy is still standing there with Mike's case and looking at me like I'm some crazy person. And I call Mike and I'm like, Mike, uh, <laughs> your case that you have with you is not your case. <laughs> it was, I was very confused by all of this. And was, and Mike was like, what? <laughs> Like, <laughs> and then when I get there, so I go find Federico. Like, luckily, I was just about to get on the train, but I hadn't yet. And I get there, and this guy's like all annoyed at me. <laughs> but the thing was, he picked up my bag first. And the reason I know this is because I got to the carousel and I saw my bag, but it was like it was like it had passed me, so I just let it go. Right, like I let it go back into the thing and come out. And I was waiting there for ages. Right, Fe- Federico's bag had come out, and I was waiting for ages. And then the other bag comes and i picked it up thinking it was mine so i know my bag he had picked it up before it went back into the thing like i just taken my eye off it so he picked up my bag first and then i picked up his bag because it was one of the last bags left on the carousel so but then the guy's all like he was all annoyed at me but he did it he should have checked his bag silly old man but anyway yeah so if we had the air tags this would have never happened no it could have still happened (laughs) it could have still happened Yes. But can you imagine if we... Oh, man. I I often think about that. I often think about that. Like, how would that have been resolved? I have no idea. I have no idea. Anywho. Yeah. Yeah. Ming-Chi Kuo did not report on that. Um, That was was not part... I don't know if he made it clear, but that whole story was not part of Ming-Chi Kuo's report. It was just the air tags part. That's a bummer. It was my the story of me losing uh, my suitcase was not in there. Uh, here's a fun one. I was talking about just like two weeks ago with you guys. High end wireless headphones coming in the first half of the year from Apple. Headpods are back, baby. Headpods. Uh, that there's no more details on this one except to say that these things exist. But it makes sense, right? We need, this is it makes as much sense as it made then. Actually, probably more, right? The AirPods Pro seem to have done so well. It makes so much sense for Apple to just keep making all the great headphones a 4.7 inch iphone of an lcd display touch id in the home button but of a faster a13 chip and three gigabytes of ram this is i feel like this 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 uh new version of what we expect is the se right yeah i can't think of a product in a long time where the specs of it have changed so frequently in rumors 
Like, because if you remember last time we heard, it was going to be a smaller version of a ten with Face ID, <laughs> and then there was going to be uh, it was not going to have Face ID, but have a Touch ID sensor in a side button, right? Uh, and that was when Stephen thought iPhone nine, but now. It, I don't know what it's going to be now. Mm-hmm. It could just be the iPhone SE 2. They could still call it the iPhone 9, but it definitely feels much more like an iPhone 8 than anything else, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that makes the most sense if this is to be a low-cost phone slash bridge phone to get people who want the old mm-hmm. design into newer technology. Then I, I think that all sort of jives with that. $399 is a great price for a new iPhone, if that's the case that's what they're going to go mm-hmm. with. Refreshed iPad Pro models yeah. featuring a triple lens rear camera system that supports 3D sensing for augmented reality. Okay. We've had this rumor for a while, right, that this was something that was coming to the iPad. Um, I think we even heard about the 3D sensor thing before the iPhone got three cameras. Yeah. Like that, this room has been around for a long time. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense that they would be updating the uh, iPads in the spring. Uh, but I, I think it is really going to be interesting to see whether they get many more substantial updates including 5g radios like i think that's the key part quo didn't really say anything more other than this um so that's kind of where we are right now uh it is unclear exactly what laptop uh quo is is talking about here but there will be an update to a laptop whether macbook pro and or macbook air updates and there isn't really much information about what that will be but We'd expect some keyboard changes and or an introduction of a smaller MacBook Pro. And then one that has been like, it was, I thought, hilariously to me, kind of overlooked in the Mac Rumors report is a, quote, smaller wireless charging mat. Mm-hmm. It's coming back, boys. Air power is coming back. Air power is coming back. Oh, no. Why smaller? Like smaller than what it was supposed right. to be? But, yeah, because it's not going to be air power. It's going to be air power. They're just going to make an Apple charging mat. I tell you what I think it is, right? Qi charging only. Yeah. And then Qi charging comes to the Apple Watch. Mm. That's what I think they're going to do. So for now, it's going to be iPhone plus AirPods and eventually yeah. also the watch. But the watch is going to yeah. switch to Qi. Yeah. That's what I think they're going to do. Can the Apple Watch switch to Qi charging, though? Who knows, man. Mm. If they can put a Qi charger inside of the AirPods case, I'm sure they can put one uh, inside of the Apple Watch. I don't know. But I, I do feel like it's it's not air power, right? Mm. It's not. Because if anything, they needed to make air power bigger so mm. they could get all the tech in it. So, I can't imagine that they are able to deliver on a smaller version of air power whilst also never delivering on the original one. <laughs> right? that doesn't, those two things don't seem to jive in my brain. Well, you want the fire to be more contained, so smaller makes sense. That's true. A smaller fire. We all know that smaller fires, they don't grow because they're too small to attach to anything. So two questions. When do we think new iPad Pros and is the triple lens camera system all that we should expect? I mean, obviously, it's going to have like maybe a new CPU and that kind of stuff. Oh, definitely a new CPU. They they wouldn't do it without putting a new CPU in it. But when and what else, I guess? I think March and I do think 5G. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's a good guess. March makes sense. There's a lot of past March events, right? So that's that's a month that they've played in before. I think the triple camera thing, you know, we spoke about it weeks ago. If this really is like a big move in AR, 
having it out with the iPad six months before it comes to the iPhone gives developers time to be playing with it. And when it ends up coming to the iPhone later, you know, with the depth sensing and all that junk, then they can say, look, we, we've had this out for a while. Look at all these apps that take advantage of it. And now you get this great experience on your iPhone as well. They don't even have to say, we can't wait to see what you do with it because people already have done something with it. So they can say instead, like... Three developers would have we're used so, it. <laughs> we're so happy to see what you have already done with it. That's what Tim will say. What do you think? I don't know. I was I was kind of hoping to, to have a repeat of the uh, 2017 uh, 10.5 announcement. So like WWDC and iPad Pro announcement in the same keynote. I thought that was really fun, uh, especially because now they could do new iPad Pro at WWDC with new sessions for the AR stuff and iPadOS features in the same keynote. So that would be a nice combo of like more iPadOS and more iPad Pro and it all works together. Mm-hmm. So that, that could be interesting, but I could also definitely see a March event, especially if they have a bunch of stuff to announce. They can maybe throw it all together in a single keynote Although Apple has also been doing a bunch of press releases for, uh, you know, things that we expected they would do a keynote for. I mean, look at the AirPods Pro and the AirPods 2. They were just press releases. So, like, I don't even know if you should expect a keynote to have a bunch of features, a bunch of products. I I don't even, I'm not set on this, all of these things coming out in an event. Yeah, they could just be, they could easily be press releases i mean even the headphones even if they would be completely new products they could easily just do a press release the new iphone model also maybe that's what that's what makes me think there'll be a press release if there's an iphone in this mix i think that's got to be an event Mm. see that's that see you see i completely disagree i feel like this is an iphone you don't want on an event yeah because it's bad (laughs) <laughs> it's a bad iphone <laughs> no offense but like it's hardly an exciting product right like what does santa say to be like with our amazing touch id that's uh that's not your face <laughs> definitely not better than face id right like i i can't um, i can't even perceive of how they would sh- like spin this in a in an event in the way that if they just did a press release they could do it way more reserved for our customers with fingers <laughs> <laughs> and no faces. <laughs> oh God! Uh, yeah, I. Yeah, it's it's not the it's not the iPhone that you want to you know roll out the red carpet for and be like, here's the event for a new iPhone that is cheap and has Touch ID. I don't know. Because I guess really the only things, uh, I mean, like the wireless headphones, I would have said, oh, they'll definitely do an, an event for, except they didn't for the AirPods Pro. And then you've got like the air tags, which I just don't think are that exciting. It's like a nice add-on product. It's like it's not exciting, but it's it's not exciting. I I don't know about this because like you could point to that Brooklyn event, right? But that Brooklyn event, which showed off the iPad Pro, that was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. That iPad Pro it was a big deal. It's a huge deal. They're not doing that again, no. Nope. Right? It's going to be an update in this current design. Mm-hmm. I, like, even all of this stuff here, based on the last couple of years, I don't know if you've got an event in that. Because it's a bunch of things, a bunch of, like, uh, yeah, refresh MacBook Pro could also easily be a press release. They didn't have an event for the 16-inch with a Exactly. With a and like you'd, you, you, we would have said before that, oh, that 16-inch is a big deal. Yeah. But, like, what they did instead was, like, 
a huge coordinated press effort that just wasn't an event, right? It's like, we're going to give this person it in advance. We're going to put this person on a podcast. We're going to have these people. Like, they were able to do a bunch of stuff, which is probably much more effective than having an event. So I think that they're more likely to just do more of that. And, And really, I think at this point... Unless Apple have something huge, we get June and we get September and that's it. I think we I think we will there's potential to have like a week of Apple announcements like last year. Because this miscellaneous collection of things to me feels like another you remember when they did the whole Tim Cook tweets last year? Yeah, I think that I think that did great for them. Yeah. Because like People were excited. They were expecting stuff. I, I think that that was like somebody got a bonus for having that idea, mm-hmm. right? Like it was a very good idea, very well executed. Yeah. Anything else about this uh, this March event or stuff in the, these rumors? Mm, I don't think so. Not really. Yeah, I feel like a lot of this has been around for a while, right? Like a lot of the detail that Quo's given is the same detail he's been giving for a long time, but he has now collected them all up and said, like, this is all coming in the first six months. Now, some of these products, like, for example, the the laptop stuff, he's been saying that they're coming next month for the last six months, right? Like, he's been really banging the drum on these, and none of it's happened. We only got some of it. So I don't know, but all of this stuff feels logical to me to come out in the first half of the year because... I can't imagine Apple going all the way until June without any of these products coming out. So, But the first half of the year does include June, so they could announce those iPads and the MacBook at WWDC, but I'd be surprised. Yeah, that's that's like the one sticking point in my mind for the iPad is if this like depth-sensing camera stuff requires iOS 14 or some big update, then like, does it get tied to a software announcement? Yeah, I don't know. They've they've put huge AR updates in point releases. Uh, AR yes. Kit 2.0 was, was iOS 12 or 11.3 or whatever. So, right, yeah. but they were not using new hardware for that. Yeah, but still. I, I get your point, but like, I, I yeah. think that there's a middle ground, right? It could go either way, I think. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's take one last break and thank our sponsor, Booz Allen. Modernizing for the future is a challenge, especially for large organizations. You may need to integrate legacy systems with new technology or incorporate AI and analytics to work more efficiently and make fast decisions. And everyone needs new ways of thinking to move to what's next, whether for government or commercial goals. Booz Allen understands that they're helping some of the world's largest organizations modernize, and they understand that the missions of government and industry need to adapt to constant change. They provide open source solutions so clients can integrate innovation from anywhere, whether from visionary startups or major contractors. Plus, they're helping clients power new technology with analytics. And because security is everyone's priority, they integrate their capabilities with intelligence-grade cybersecurity. With Booz Allen, integration means putting you in control of innovation. Integrate, innovate, get it done with Booz Allen. Learn more at boozallen.com relay. That's boozallen.com slash relay. We'd like to thank Booz Allen for their support of the show. So Fantastical 3 launched this morning, uh, Wednesday, January 29th. It is a overhaul of the calendar app that we have uh, known and I think all of us have really enjoyed using over the years. Fantastical has always been known, I think, for nice design as well as natural language processing. So normally when you enter a calendar and you know, event on the stock calendar app on your iPhone or iPad or even on the Mac, there's a lot of like 
clicking buttons and tapping things. And Fantastical kind of got away from all of that with this really smart uh, natural language processing engine. And version three brings a lot of new stuff. Federico, do you want to walk us through what's new? The big change is that Fantastical is now a free app powered by a subscription to unlock what is called Fantastical Premium, which is the service that unlocks more additional features. And on iOS, it's a universal app that runs on the iPhone, runs on the iPad, and it comes with an Apple Watch version. And in terms of feature highlights, I guess there's now a consistent design across platforms. The iPad version looks like uh, looks like the Mac version. Um, finally, finally, they got rid of that month yep. view that they yep. had yep. before. That's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's support for calendar sets everywhere, and they sync with iCloud. Finally. Also, finally, <laughs> used to be a Mac only feature. Now it's available even on the Apple Watch. You can you can you can pick a calendar set. Um, there's a new full screen views on the iPhone and the iPad. So now you can do week view, you can do month view on the iPhone. The year view, uh, I don't understand why it's there, but some people use it. Um, as I mentioned, the iPad app is all new, but it, it, it needs some additional work. I pointed out a bunch of problems in my in my review today, like uh, multi-window doesn't really work the way that it should work, in that it doesn't let you have different types of uh, content in different windows, which is entirely the point of multi-window. And also the... Oh, good. I get to see the same calendar <laughs> side by side. How great. Like, uh, as soon as I saw multiple... I can see what they're going for. Like- right. I get the point, right? That you can then have your calendar next to your email and the calendar next to like your message. Like I get that, but you really want to, sometimes it would be nice to maybe compare two different sets. Um, right. Like that. Yeah. So yeah, it would be yeah. good if they ch- make that change. Yeah, exactly. Like as soon as I saw multiple windows, I was like, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm able to have one calendar in a window and another calendar in another, but no, that's not possible. And also the keyboard, the, the keyboard shortcut selection is really bad in the iPad app compared to the Mac version. Like, you cannot even switch between calendar sets with keyboard shortcuts, which is too bad. Um, and then I guess the uh, there's event proposals. Like, you can, you can create proposals with multiple time slots and send that proposal to invitees to that event, to multiple people. And when they do, they will get an email with a link that takes them to a web app, to a Flexibits web app, where they can pick a time slot that works for them. And when there's a unanimous decision around the same time slot, uh, that event is going to be created in your calendar and invitees will get an actual calendar invitation over email. My favorite thing about this feature is that all of the potential dates that are proposed are all blocked out in your calendar. So you can't double book after the fact. It is worth noting that this feature requires that not only that you have a Flexibits account, uh, like a, f- f- which is that actually is a requirement of a bunch of new features, mm-hmm. but that you need to provide your calendar. Uh, you need to provide like Flexibits the like the the integration with your calendar, right? So either you sign in with a username and password in iCloud, or you do like the whole Google dance of authorizing. You didn't. You never did. This wasn't even an option to do this in Fantastical one or two. It always read from the accounts that you were signed into in your uh, Apple settings, right, for your Apple Calendar. But and you can still run 
Fantastical like this perfectly, but you don't get to take advantage of some of the new features if you do if you don't. Not all of the features of Fantastical three need this, but a selection of them do require you to give them your uh, account information. So yeah. it's just worth noting. I did it. I don't have a problem with mm-hmm. it, but I think that it is worth pointing out. Yeah, and uh, I also wanted to mention in terms of uh, one last feature. Uh, mo- support for multiple time zones everywhere in the app. Uh, you can see multiple time zones in the event inspector for calendar events. You can actually create multiple favorite time zones uh, in, in settings. And then if you have an event that is due at 10 a.m. Rome time and you open the inspector, you will see what that time translates to in London, New York, Chicago, whatever. And also in week view and day view, uh, you have the option to show a dual timeline. So to show an additional time zone on the right side of the screen in addition to your local time zone, which is a very clever implementation. Uh, so I, I really like it. I, I want to point out too that the Flexibits account, you can use sign in with Apple, which is pretty sweet. I haven't seen that in a lot of apps yet. So that's uh, that's cool. There is a reason you haven't seen this, by the way. We had this as an Ask Update question a couple of weeks ago. Apple changed the deadline date. Right. It's not required uh, yet. Flexibits had no choice because they're a new app. Um, All new apps now, you have to include sign-in with Apple if you allow sign-in with other services. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, But the the update date got moved. Okay. Right. So, like, if you're an existing app, you you didn't have to do it. Apple uh, understood that maybe they set too aggressive a timeline for that. In my use of it, it has been a uh, a little bit better to sign in into like directly into iCloud or Google or whatever than using the built-in calendars store. Seems like it's faster to sync. I, I don't know if that's actually a thing, but just in sort of my looking at it, it, it seemed at least that that, that was the case. Um, but one of my favorite things about this is that Fantastical is now like a full-blown Todoist client. So you can have, mm-hmm. you've been able to have in the past your re- Apple reminders show up in the calendar. And if you use the day view and they have due times, they sort of filter in in between events. But now you can do that with Todoist. And I don't know how I feel about mixing my tasks and my events. But if you're the sort of person who wants that, it's really nice. Their Todoist integration seems really solid. The cool thing now, though, is you can have it as a set. So you don't have to see it all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. See, I have a Todoist set where it has all of my regular calendars plus my tasks. So if I ever do want to see them at the same time, I can like choose to do that. You know what I mean? Like if I mm-hmm. want to just compare, like, I'd, honestly, I don't know why I would ever do this. But if I wanted to compare how many tasks I have and how many events I had, I could do that. Like I like that it, it isn't like a just a global on off like it has been in the past, right? Um, so you now, I guess, have that as a thing. The thing that I thought might be more interesting for me, which is why I did sign in, is if I ever wanted to convert a task to an event or vice versa. Mm. So I kind of just left it in for that way. So then I could see it all in one user interface and it would be, mm-hmm. probably be easier for me to do that. I do I do use Fantastical with both events and reminders at the same time, but I also still use the reminders app. There's a screenshot in my review that shows you basically what I do. Because basically what I like about Fantastical is that it's, an, it's like a complete overview of everything that I have going on. But then I use Reminders because of the um, exclusive features that it has in iOS 13, like 
rich links and 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 checklists and all that kind of stuff. Basically, Fantastical is is the like the complete summary for me. And sometimes I check off a reminder in Fantastical, and maybe I create a new reminder in Fantastical. But I mostly just reschedule stuff, and the actual creation I do in reminders. And maybe if a reminder has a rich link, I can only see that rich link in reminders. But it's a it's a nice system where everything mostly works together. And really, the big deal for me uh, is the calendar sets. Just being able to to have multiple like uh, different views for the app, like my podcast set as my podcast uh, reminders and events. Yep. But then I also have a writing set where I see no events, but just tasks. So being able to mix and match these different um, sources of content, I think it's what really sells the, the app for me. Like being, being able to have the, like this modular setup, essentially. Uh, obviously, uh, another elephant in the room here, it's moving to a subscription model. Before we get to the subscription thing, yeah, like just is there anything else we want to talk about about the app itself? Um, because like we're gonna we're just gonna then have a big conversation about the the business model and all of that kind of stuff. Like, I just want to say I love this app. Like, yeah. the the two features that I wanted were the iPad, a new iPad app, which they've given me. They give me the Mac app basically, which is what I wanted, and calendar sets. I love it. I love the new design. I like having weather because, like, why not? There's weather in your tasks now. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, it's just like, it is like a, it, when you see it, it's like, that's a logical thing to add, right? Like, it just makes sense to me. Uh, I'm, a, yeah, I, I really like it. I like the overall UI changes. I think the app is, um, looks very modern without changing significantly, which I think is a like a really masterful way that they've handled that. Um, I like the options for dark mode. Uh, I like the new icon options. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I've not used the Apple Watch app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, the the iPad app is where I want to see some improvements, but otherwise, it's it's a it's very solid, and and I like the consistency between different versions. Like it, yeah. you can go from one version to another, and it's mostly gonna work the same way. All right, so we've all been using the beta for a bit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got to enjoy and all of these things without paying the subscription model, and we'll all make our decisions later on if we're gonna do that. So Federico, do you want to talk about what the business model for Fantastical looks like right now? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> it's quite complex and I'll try to make it easy. Um, Fantastical used to be, before, in version 2, three separate apps, iPhone, iPad, and Mac, with different price points. Fantastical, the new Fantastical or Fantastical 3, however you want to call it, is a, a single Fantastical that can be downloaded for free and a single subscription called Premium unlocks the premium features across all platforms. And you can subscribe at $5 a month or $40 a year. Now, what they're doing, what Flexibits is doing here is if you owned Fantastical 2 before, features that you paid for in the past, you will be able to continue using for free even if they are behind the premium paywall. Now, this is transition, this upgrade flow is applied on a platform-by-platform basis. So if you owned the Mac app, which offered calendar sets before, and you upgrade your Mac version of Fantastical from 2 to 3, you will keep using calendar sets for free, even if they're now, in theory, part of a premium subscription. However, 
if you didn't own the iPhone version and you download Fantastical 3 for free today, you will not have calendar sets because basically the app detects on each platform whether you used to have the old version installed and it will unlock features for you based on the version that you had. The main strategy here from Flexibits is to give existing users of Fantastical 2 full access to all the features they're paying for. It gets a bit complicated and confusing, maybe, once you have to account for the fact that you need to create a Flexibits account to access the premium stuff uh, Mm -hmm. that is required. And also, based on the mentions that I got on Twitter today, the Apple Watch app is now a premium-only feature. Obviously, if you purchased Fantastical 2 for iPhone before, the Apple Watch app was part of that, and you can keep using it uh, with a new version, even if you do not upgrade to premium, but you have to create a Flexibits account for the Apple Watch app to log you in and, and keep working. So the, the account requirement is, I think, what's confusing for some of the upgraders today this whole thing is confused okay so uh, this whole thing is very confusing but it is the most fair i have seen of any uh developer moving to a subscription model that that they have features that they are uh, like preserving and enabling that in theory new people will put i think they've done a good job basically right of trying to do the best thing they can but in doing that, have created a complicated situation. Like it's hard to follow exactly what you get yeah. um, or what you don't get. But I think that that uh, I I do. I imagine it was also very complicated for them to make this work. So like I I applaud them yes. in that regard, right? That they they have done what, clearly tried to do the best they can. But there are tons of asterisks around what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, but but by and large, if you had a feature on a platform, that feature will still work. Yeah. But there might be a hoop or two that you have to jump through to get it to work. Yeah, basically. Yes, that's it. But they're charging $5 a month or $40 a year. Mm-hmm. If you pay for the $40 a year, you get like 30% off or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you get a bunch of extra months thrown in. Yeah. So, so let's just say, mm-hmm. right, $5 a month for a calendar is a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like on the App Store mm-hmm. economy, it's a lot of money. But like, it's not even just the App Store economy. Uh, that's the price of Disney Plus. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Right? $5 a month for a calendar is a lot of money when there's a calendar that it's built in for free. Now, I am a heavy calendar user, happily will pay this because I love Fantastical. Right? So, like, for me, I don't have a problem with this. Right? Like, I will do the $40 a year thing easy to do i i think it's possible that you can buy this subscription on their website and i don't know how they're getting away with that uh because you're buying yeah that's like a whole separate thing right if you guys seen this yeah like you can go on their website and buy the subscription yeah you can yeah that's interesting i guess they're just not pushing people to it and they're hoping people will do it because i've but like it's not the price isn't any different than the app store version so they make more money on it there which is cool for them but i like it because i can buy it with because i would consider this a business expense and my uh my app store account is tied to my personal bank account 
so, but I can go to their website and buy it with my business credit card instead. So like, thank you for Flexibits for making that a feature because now I can go and do that, right? But, right, like for a lot of Fantastico's users, $5 a month is too much. Like, I know that Adina is not going to want to pay $5 a month for a calendar. Mm-hmm. She loves Fantastico, but like, but the great thing for her is she paid however many pounds it was and she's just going to keep using the app exactly the same mm-hmm. because it's not going to change for her. It is an expensive subscription based on App Store models. Now, do I think that the work that they've done is worth it? Yeah, because like this type of stuff is hard. But they are also going to have a very hard time convincing a lot of people to yeah. do this. Uh, and and I called it in my review a prosumer type of product because I think that's what well, it is. Definitely, I think that's what it is right now. Most people do will not pay forty dollars a year for a calendar app. And if there was, you know, some folks who uh, spent five dollars years ago and they were still using Fantastical for free, I think it's a hard sell. It's a it's a big ask to say, look, you gotta give us forty dollars a year or five dollars a month now to keep using the app. But I think. That t- there's a there's a niche of uh, professionals and and people who use iOS and and Apple devices and want to spend money on apps, and folks who really operate in a calendar every single day, like people who manage their schedules in a calendar app yep. for like multiple hours a day, forty dollars a year, it's not a big deal for a product that you rely on. I tried moving to other calendar apps over the last couple of years because it felt like Fantastical wasn't going anywhere for a while. Mm-hmm. And my life was falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, like I have gotten very used to the feature set that Fantastical has. Mm-hmm. And if I if that is taken away from me or I can't use it, like I just am not as effective anymore. Right. right? Like it's become an incredibly important part of my workflow. But I do feel like unless you feel that way, you probably don't want this. Right. Yeah. That's my feeling. Yeah. And and I feel like obviously they're, they're going to leave some people behind. And there's going to be people who are going to say, no, this is doesn't work for me. I'm going to look elsewhere. And that's fine. I think that's definitely part of the calculation that Flexibits did. It was either... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we need to let this app basically wither and die on the App Store, or we're going to give up some of our customer base and go for a different type of professional product. And I mean, we, we've seen these stories before many times, Ulysses, uh, Kurt Weather, you know, all these types of more advanced and refined and sort of, again, prosumer is a good word because they're not professional tools like Logic Pro 10 or Adobe Photoshop, but they are also not, you know, the simple apps that you get from the App Store. It's some, somewhere in the middle. And I think there's an audience for that type of product. Um, they will lose customers, I'm sure. It's just what it is. Um, there's... there. It's not like even there will be backlash. There is backlash going on right now. Uh, take a look at you know what people are saying on Twitter, in my mentions, in in Jason Snell's mentions, in Steven's mentions. I think you will see uh, you know on Reddit, it's a it's it's a it's a mess because a lot of people do not like subscriptions and that is fine. But also they Flexibits made this decision, and I think if you're the type of person like me, like Mike, like others, that depends on a calendar on a professional tool to manage your schedule, 
you know that, you know, and I guess, you know, $40 a year, you know that it's probably worth it for you if you don't want to go insane. I know that I will go insane without a proper calendar. So I think now the big question, uh, my remaining question here would be, now that you have a subscription, I want to see how you keep up with your promise of the subscription lets us iterate more quickly, lets us keep up, you know, with the updates at a more regular pace. Because now, you know, now that you've done the transition, uh, it's time to, you know, go back to work and show us why we need to pay on a on a month by month or year by year basis. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things change. Fantastical as when it used to be a paid upfront app, the big updates were were you know sparse and and slow. Uh, it's always been that type of product, you know, very few releases, a, a lot of you know bug fixes and updates. But in terms of feature additions, it was an app born in a different era when you made a new version and then you had a bunch of updates and then you had to make a new version and charge people again. Now it's a different world with subscriptions. Uh, We need to see what that's like. Uh, Some developers have done a reasonably good job at moving to this new business model. Again, look at Ulysses, look at current weather, constantly adding new features and, and, you know, improving how, uh, how their apps work. Uh, Timery, another excellent example with the Timery club. Now we got to see how Fantastical deals with this type of uh, different schedule because we've mm-hmm. never seen Flexibits do this before. So, Yeah, that you, it requires lots, right? Like uh, Timery is a great example. Uh, Joe, the developer of Timery, is adding new features to that app all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Like big new features and like lots of refinements. Like... Uh, he's got some stuff in the current beta around shortcuts that has allowed me to completely re-architect all of my shortcuts and they're all way better and smaller. Oh, yeah, I got to check that out. Oh, they're so good, Federico. Yeah. He's added some... Re- we'll talk about it after okay. the show. Uh, so it, they are... They've, it's really great. And that is an app where, like... Yes, like, that is why I want subscriptions to exist. This was the point, right? Was that it's not that I'm just getting this feeling of like, oh, look at me, I'm supporting my favorite developers. It's no, like, no, no that's not this, it. Is a, this is a business-to-business transaction here. I am paying you a monthly fee for support and for new features and that they now you don't have to wait a, a year to build them all up. You just give them to me as you have them. Um, that's kind of what should be happening. So I want to see that because... There, as we said, there was a long drought between Fantastical 2 and Fantastical 3. And they did. there was a lot of features that seemed to be obvious ones to implement that they didn't, like features that were on the Mac but were not on the iPhone, um, and they didn't do them. Now, my understanding from conversations that I've had is that they have a roadmap that they want to implement. Mm-hmm. So let's hope that that happens, and then the subscription's worth it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that roadmap could be public, maybe not, but you know, uh, at least I, I think communicating to customers that yes, we have a roadmap. Maybe that's something that they could have done better instead of just saying you know the promise of a subscription. I would like to see more developers have a have a public and and more open roadmap. You know, sharing things on Twitter of things that are coming in the future because that's what a subscription is for, right? You keep paying with the promise of an actual features or improvements, you know, coming down the road. So maybe yeah, I I am also in the belief that uh, subscription pricing 
subscription business models should inherently bring more transparency between developers and their customers because we're in a different relationship at this point you don't have to surprise and delight me you already have my money so show me what you're going to do with it like i would like to see that yeah exactly it's it's also something that i learned with the club like telling Mm -hmm. uh, people uh, we're working on this stuff and you will be getting this stuff uh this is what we're doing now you know more transparency always helps when Mm -hmm. you have a Mm -hmm. you have a a scheduled transaction going on so we'll see how this goes for them is that it i think so i think that's it all right if you want to find links to all the stuff we spoke about head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 279 while you're there you can get in touch uh via email or you can send feedback or follow it via twitter you can find mike there is i-m-y-k-e mike is the host of a bunch of shows here on relay fm go check those out you can find Federico on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. You can follow me on Twitter as ISMH and find my work at 512pixels.net. I like to thank our sponsors this week, Pingdom, Smile, and Booz Allen. Until next time, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Adios.